Warning, I am not a professional. Maybe one day I will be, but today is not that day. Do not take anything I say as gospel, and please seek professional help if you think you need it. Today's song is Falling Slowly by V-Wills. Long time no talk. Sorry for the hiatus. I was finishing my degree. Yeah, your girl finally finished her freaking degree. <laughs> what a long time coming. So officially, I have a very expensive piece of paper that says I have a psychology degree and a sociology minor. Go me. So today we are going to dive into traumatic brain injuries or TBIs and we're going to talk about a particular disease that comes from repeated TBIs and just how common it is in sports. And then we're going to talk about Aaron Hernandez and that all kind of ties in together. If you've seen the docuseries on Netflix under his name, you'll know a little bit about that. So let's go. So what is a TBI? Well, according to John Hopkins, traumatic brain injuries, um, they happen when a sudden external physical assault damages the brain. It's one of the most common causes of disability and death in adults. TBI is actually an umbrella term that describes many different injuries that happen to the brain. So things like concussions or trauma of some kind or even as far as being shot in the head. There are two different ways that the brain can be damaged. It can be focal, which is confined to one area of the brain, or diffuse, which happens in many areas of the brain, more than one area of the brain. And the severity of a brain injury can range from something like a mild concussion to a severe injury that can result in coma or death. So there's a couple different types of TBI. The first one is called closed brain injury, and this happens when there is a non-penetrating injury to the brain, so there's no break in the skull. And a closed brain injury is caused by a rapid forward or backward movement, and it shakes the brain inside the skull, and that results in bruising and tearing of brain tissue and the blood vessels. Closed brain injuries are usually caused by car accidents, falls, and in sports. I'm not sure if anyone has heard of shaken baby syndrome, but this is another type of closed brain injury. So shaking a baby um, also essentially rattles the brain around and it can kill a baby. And then the second type is penetrating brain injuries. So that's open head injuries that happen when there is a break in the skull. So when a bullet pierces the brain, for example. So what happens after the brain injury? So some brain injuries are pretty mild and symptoms disappear over time with proper medical attention and others are more severe and they can result in permanent disability or death. But the long-term or permanent results of brain injury, um, 
it, it might result in a lifelong rehabilitation. So you're basically dealing with the symptoms forever. So there's a lot of different effects across the body that happen because of TBIs. So some of the cognitive deficits are things like coma, confusion, memory problems, and amnesia, so just not remembering, um, and problems with judgment. There's also motor deficits, so things like paralysis, um, difficulties balancing, tremors, and so on. And then there's sensory changes, so problems with your eyesight, like double vision or blurred vision, smell changes, hearing can change. And there's communication and language issues, so some people find it difficult to read or write or speak properly. And there's regulatory issues, so trying to regulate things that go on in your body. Um, so these things can include things like fatigue, sleep patterns, um, loss of bladder or bowel control. And then lastly, there's psychiatric issues, which we're going to get into a lot more in this episode. But these kinds of things include um, decreased motivation, irritability, aggression, inappropriate sexual behavior, just to name a few. And actually, as a little side quest here, <laughs> the, um, the inappropriate sexual behavior. I went to elementary school with a boy who ended up being hit by a car when he was riding his bike, and he ended up with an awful brain injury. And one of his main symptoms was very inappropriate sexual behavior. Like, he essentially assaulted multiple people, and it was a regular thing for him. Um, and it was a result of this brain injury that he got when he was in that accident because he wasn't he wasn't like that before, but that was just something that became very, very apparent after his brain changed. So, having gone through all of those symptoms, there is a ton of issues that can arise from concussions or continuous concussions or other brain traumas. And our brains are kind of like our drivers, right? So, imagine knocking out the person driving your car or impairing them in some way. They definitely won't be able to operate the car very well, or at the very least, operate it the same way that they normally would. So something that can arise, but it's not a guarantee, is something called CTE, which is chronic traumatic encephalopathy. According to the Mayo Clinic, CTE is the term that's used to describe brain degeneration, which they think is caused by repeated head traumas. CTE is a diagnosis that can only be made at autopsy by studying sections of the brain, so no one knows that they have this until they're already passed away. So we're going to go over some of the symptoms of CTE, and a lot of these cross over with the other symptoms from before that go along with concussions and other brain injuries, but I mean, it makes sense. Um, but some of the, the cognitive impairments are difficulty thinking, memory loss, problems with planning, organizing, um, or carrying out tasks. This is basically all the things that encompass executive function. And if anyone has ADD or ADHD, you probably know how um, executive function 
uh, works because yours doesn't. Um, I'm one of those people. I found out uh, this past winter that I am neurospicy. So it's all coming together. Anyway, I digress. You see how that works? Anyway, um, so the behavioral changes are, again, like impulse control problems, aggression, and then there's mood problems like depression, um, emotional instabilities, substance misuse. Um, it's very, very common for um, substance use issues to arise from emotional instabilities. That'll be an entirely other episode. <laughs> Um, and then there's also suicidal thoughts or behaviors. And then the motor functions. So things like um, shaking or tremors occur. And then there's motor neuron diseases. So I know a lot of people have heard of uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, aka ALS. Um, I'm not sure how, every, how old everyone is here, but if you remember like the water bucket challenge, that was raising money for ALS, which is one of these motor neuron diseases. So like I said, nobody really knows that they have this until there's an autopsy done and and the brain is actually physically looked at. Um, and there's a couple telltale signs of this in pathology. Um, and sometimes you can see them on MRI scans, but it's not definitive until you actually basically have it in your hand. So there's these things on your brain called sulky, and when you think of a brain, you think about, you know, it looks kind of wrinkly. That would be the cortex. So the folds in the cortex, those valleys, the, the in-between folds uh, on, the top of, on, the, on the top layer of the brain, they get significantly larger, and it almost looks like a dehydrated brain in a way. And this is because... CTE is a degenerator of things. So your brain is shrinking, disappearing. It's it's degenerating. So those those valleys in the folds, they get larger because there's less mass. And something else very obvious that I noticed looking at MRI scans of CTE are the ventricles. And the ventricles usually contain spinal fluid. And in CTE, they are very, very enlarged. And again, that's because CTE is degenerative. So the brain tissue wastes away and it gives these ventricles way more room. So there's more spinal fluid to fill these spaces. The next piece it, uh, has to do with the cavern septum pellicidum. So within that ventricle space that I was talking about, typically there is a piece of tissue that creates two cavities, so two ventricle spaces. Like, think of the septum in your nose. But when someone experiences brain trauma, that septum tears when there's sudden changes in spinal fluid pressure, like there is in things like concussions. And eventually, over time, a small third space is created in the middle of that septum. And this is one of the big telltale signs of CTE. And lastly, and the gold standard of brains with CTE is a protein called tau around blood vessels in the brain. So these are some of the same um, proteins found in the brain with Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. 
but it accumulates differently. So in CTE, it's thought that this causes areas of the brain to waste away or atrophy, and injuries to the section of nerve cells that conduct um, electrical impulses, uh, it affects communications between cells. So basically, these proteins, they build up around blood vessels and they affect um, neuron communication, and that's not good, and that is what's causing all of the symptoms, the, the shakes, the tremors, the confusion, the, the mood changes, behavior changes, all of the things. So the thing with CTE symptoms is they don't develop right after a head injury, but researchers believe that they, they probably develop over years or even decades after repeated, repeated head trauma. And it's currently believed that CTE symptoms appear in two different forms. So the first form is early in life, between the late 20s and early 30s, which when we talk about Aaron Hernandez, he definitely fell into this bracket. Um, and this first form of CTE, it can cause mental health and behavioral issues. Um, like I've said, things like depression, anxiety, impulsivity, aggression, and then the second form of CTE is thought to cause symptoms later in life, around age 60. And these signs and symptoms include more things like memory and thinking problems that are likely to progress to dementia. So we're going to get into numbers here for just a second. So research at Boston University, um, they have a CTE center there. And... They have diagnosed CTE in the brains of 90, almost 92% of NFL players that they have studied. And there was also another study done uh, in 2017 that showed CTE in 99% of the brains of NFL players, 91% of college football players, and 21% of high school football players in their brain bank. So that is an alarming number of, uh, uh, that's it's just an alarming number. But as you can see, it's like as time goes on, those numbers just go up and up, you know, 21% of high school, 91% in college, and 99% in NFL players. There was, um, an update this year on, uh, the research that was showing those numbers and they said that you know as they're getting brains into their brain bank they're still finding that over 90% of football player brains show signs of CTE. So all of this to say not all athletes or not everyone who experiences repeated concussions uh, including military personnel there were studies that showed that people who were on, like, um, who were very close to, like, bomb blasts and whatnot, they were showing the same signs because, I mean, that's still a very, it's still causing concussions if you're close enough. Not everyone that experiences these kinds of things will go on to develop CTE. There have been studies that have shown no increase um, of incidence of CTE in people who have had repeated head injuries. So all of that to say that 
if you've had like five plus awful concussions, that doesn't mean that you're automatically going to have CTE or develop CTE or develop dementia or anything like that. Um, it's it's just one of those things that it might happen and it might not. So now we're kind of shifting gears here a little bit and we're going to talk about the Aaron Hernandez story. This is like a real life example of CTE and the effects of repeated concussions to the brain. Although there are theories that there was a little bit more to it than that, but we will talk about that in a minute. So Aaron Hernandez was an American football player who at one point signed a $40 million contract with the New England Patriots, and he signed with them in 2010. So a little bit about his early life to outsiders. Aaron grew up in a middle-class family and wasn't said to be involved in drugs or gangs. But his father, who he really, really looked up to and admired, was an alcoholic, and he was also very abusive. Actually, Aaron's brother wrote a book about growing up in that household, and he talks about their dad coming home drunk and physical fights happening. And there was one that was so bad that one night he came home super drunk and smashed his mom's head into a sink until she was unconscious and apparently that was not unusual. But when Aaron was 16, his dad suddenly died while in a routine surgery. And a lot of people say that's when Aaron really changed. He just kind of went blank, which if we're going to talk about trauma, that's actually very normal. Um, that's going to be a completely different episode as well. Uh, trauma, trauma responses, nervous system function, but I digress. Right after his dad died, right away his mom got into a, rela a relationship with a family member's husband, which that's messy. And this person moved into their house right away. So I imagine that that was hard for him to see his mo his mom moving on so fast and just like having this man in their house so soon and never mind it being like a family member's husband or I'm assuming ex-husband. I, I don't know that much about it. So as Aaron grew up, he really shone in football. He was overall like super athletic, but football was his thing. He started playing in high school, and this is where he received his first concussions. Um, there was one year where he actually won state player of the year, and then there was one game where he got completely knocked out unconscious, and they had to have the paramedics carry him off. From what I've heard, I have not experienced this firsthand, but players are really encouraged to play hurt. So being carried off is not something you want, and you're, you're expected to be kind of like bulletproof. So that major concussion didn't slow him down, and in 2007, he went on to play college football for the University of Florida Gators. And then in 2010, he was signed on to the Patriots. 
And he was playing alongside big names in football, like Tim Tebow and Tom Brady. But right before he signed that $40 million contract with the Patriots, there was a double homicide that happened in Boston. Two people were shot in traffic, and the vehicle involved was Aaron's. Aaron allegedly pulled up beside another car and unloaded a gun on the people inside the car. Um, allegedly, they had spilled a drink on him in a club, and he followed them out of the club, and that's what happened. So, he had a pretty rank temper, he was impulsive, violent, and in this particular incident, his aunt actually helped him try to cover it up, and she kept his car in her garage for a long time, and eventually... She ended up doing time for that later. In another incident later, um, a friend had gone out with him to a gentleman's club and caught a ride home with Aaron. But on the way home, he fell asleep. And when he woke up, Aaron was pointing a gun in his face and just pulled the trigger. And when he got dumped out of the car... Someone had witnessed it, they had heard it, they had witnessed it, and they called 911 for this guy, and he ended up surviving. And he went to the hospital, he got fixed up. I mean, he has permanent injuries from it, but he survived, and he didn't want a rat. He didn't want a rat on Aaron, but he definitely did want revenge. And that's when Aaron's life really began to unravel, and he ended up installing... He installed a very expensive surveillance system in his house. He bought an armored car, he bought a bunch of guns, he hired bodyguards to be around him at all times. Um, he, he basically just knew his life was in danger. So of course, he became pretty paranoid. Um, he was paranoid of everything and everyone. He thought that everybody was a cop. He didn't want iPhones around because he said that they can record everything and I mean technically we know now that like our apps listen to a lot of things we say because of the sponsored ads that we end up getting I mean technically he wasn't wrong about that but anyway through this whole thing the Patriots actually helped him get a secret apartment to make him feel more safe but he would actually just basically go there to get high and then the big one happened. Um, the murder that got him arrested. This happened in 2013. And he murdered a semi-pro football player named Odin Lloyd. So Aaron got two other guys to help him with this. And the, the other two that he recruited were small-time criminals. Like, the one guy was a bike thief. So, like, not seasoned criminals at all, especially for something like murder. So they were some kind of acquaintances, him and Odin, and they went to pick him up at two in the morning. And they were driving a rental car this time because I guess by this point Aaron learned not to drive his own car to um, his crimes. <laughs> God. And so he took, he ended up taking Odin to this secluded area and just shot him six times. One in his right forearm, one in his right flank, two in his back, and um, another two 
as he laid on the ground, bleeding out. So that fancy security system that he installed at his house, he erased some of the footage from that night, but some of it was recovered through a warrant, and it really helped the police put him away. So it wasn't that long after that he did get arrested, and as soon as the police arrested him, the Patriots dropped him. And some of his teammates were not surprised with the charges at all, which I found interesting. So, of course, this caused a big uproar. And American football has a cult following. And fans were returning their number 81 Patriots jerseys in groves because they refused to support him. But there were a ton of other people who also refused to believe that he did that. And there were regularly crowds outside the courthouse on trial days, and people had all kinds of posters supporting him, and they were chanting, innocent, and and people had made shirts that said, Team Aaron. There was, there was sides to this. It was, there was a big contrast. And so when the trial started, he pled not guilty, but he was in jail being held for the time being. And when he was in jail, he told himself that he was just in training camp and it wasn't prison, and his rec time would be spent in this 12 by 12 cage outside where he would just do push-ups or sit-ups for the whole hour because he believed that he was in training camp and not prison. So slightly delusional behavior and it could be argued that maybe this was a survival mechanism for him and not anything to do with a brain injury but I digress. So he was found guilty. He spent years in jail and then in 2017 he again stood trial for those that that double murder in Boston, the one where he drove his own car and pulled up at a at a red light and just unloaded on two people who spilled a drink on him. And he was actually acquitted of that. But oddly, right after this acquittal in April of 2000, 2017, Aaron hung himself in his prison cell. He had written John 316 across his forehead before he did it. Um, John 316 references like having eternal life with, with Jesus. It's, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Um, so he ended up hanging and he, he left three letters, one to his fiance, one to his daughter, and one to his lawyer. I'm not exactly sure what these letters said, but in any case, his family ended up donating his brain to a study to see if his suicide was related to TBIs because he had numerous serious concussions over the years playing football. So the neuropathologist that did the autopsy on Aaron's brain, her name was uh, Dr. McKee, she said that he had very, very advanced brain disease for his age, which he died at the age of 27. So he's in that first 
range that we talked about earlier, that early life, late 20s to early 30s age group. And she said it was particularly heavy in the frontal lobes, and that is very important um, because this area has a lot to do with impulse or impulse control, decision-making, judgment, cognition. So all of Erin's behaviors, it they really matched this. And she said that that was the worst case she had seen in someone that young. Dr. McKee, um, she also said that something like this takes years to develop. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. And it was speculated that it could have began around 17 or 18 years old, which is exactly when Aaron was really getting into football and trying to make a career of it. That's also that age where he ended up getting completely knocked out on the field and having to be carried off. So it it was kind of like a, I don't want to say a textbook case, but again, CTE, it, it doesn't just happen. It's over time and repeated brain injuries of some kind, which in this case, for a lot of athletes, it's concussions. And this isn't rare in athletes. Um, it's just not discussed as much as it should be. And again, not every single athlete will experience CTE, but that doesn't mean that some of them don't because as we've as I've said, the research shows that in NFL football players, uh, a vast majority of them do. And it's it's a very real risk when playing contact sports. There were some other theories um, around why Aaron was so angry. And in the documentary, the docuseries on Netflix, there was one man that had come forward who had also played football with Aaron uh, starting in high school and said that they, not so much that they had a relationship, but they basically sexually experimented with each other when they were in high school. But of course, that was kept a secret because they didn't want to ruin their budding careers or have their parents disown them. And so that theory was continued and basically said that Aaron lashed out at the world because he was a closeted gay man in a very homophobic environment. Absolutely no idea how much validity is there, but that was just another theory that was that was brought up. And at the time, I'm not sure how many openly gay football players there were. Not very many. I mean, I know there was a few. I, I can think of a few names by that point in time, but... It, uh, it it's probably very difficult to come out as a gay man in the NFL, and and there really weren't that many people. Um, and Aaron also knew how many people really looked up to him, and unfortunately, society probably wouldn't have been very nice. Um, so I think a lot of people could probably understand where he was coming from if he if. That is what was going on, but again, nobody's ever really going to know, and that is all speculation. There's also the other part of it, like, you always hear psychologists talking about nature or nurture, etc. If you look at how he grew up, all the abuse, all the trauma, and then you add in all the concussions, which led up to CTE, 
it's in a way not surprising that all of these events kind of rolled out. And again, I don't think anyone will ever be able to definitely say like this specific thing made Aaron act the way he did. It could very well be a combination of things. It, it probably is. Um, but his home life growing up wasn't ideal. He ended up with serious concussions fairly early in life. His brain was still developing. And he did have advanced, very, very advanced CTE by the age of 27. So again, I don't think that there is one single thing that contributed to his crimes. It can be a little bit of everything. So that is the Aaron Hernandez story and a little bit about traumatic brain injuries and how serious they can be. If you're not, I encourage you to follow my Instagram account at Firefly Psychology. That is all one word. Uh, this episode was voted on in the polls that I post, and it was literally unanimous. No one voted for anything else. So that is what you got. So head on over there to participate and vote on what you want to hear. So I'm going to end this podcast by quoting the wise words of one of my favorite humans, Selena Myers, aka Selena Spooky Boo. If anyone listens to her, she has a podcast called The Haunted Estate. She is all over every social media platform you could imagine, and she's hilarious. I think a lot of people probably know her from TikTok as like the sleepwalking girl, <laughs> um, but she does all kinds of stuff. But at the end of her podcasts, she always says, don't make permanent decisions based on temporary feelings. And I love that saying. So don't make permanent decisions based on temporary feelings. So have a great day and take care of your brains. She started kissing my neck. I thought that we probably fucking wake up late in my bed until we started just talking. Having so much in common. Now my feelings are cautious because I know what it is. I'm probably falling slowly.